Hey, this is Anna David with After Party, and you are listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio. Thank you, Anna David, and thank you for having me on episode 100 of After Party Podcast. Uh, more about my trip to the Southwest, to Arizona and LA uh, later in the show. But first, I want to welcome everyone to Rebellion Dogs Radio, a 21st century look at 12-step life, now with less dogma and more bite. We're talking about the Toronto situation. It's been all over the blogosphere. It's been uh, in newspapers. Intergroup is under scrutiny by the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal for delisting agnostic groups. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the players involved. And we're going to look at what all of us can do to help make AA less divisive and more inclusive. Let's start with two versions of AA. Which one do you belong to? One is from a letter Bill Wilson wrote to Father Ford, May 4th, 1957. In that letter, Bill Wilson says, To begin with, the steps are not enforceable upon anyone. They are only suggestions. A belief in the steps or in God is not in any way a requisite of AA membership. Therefore, we have no means of compelling anyone to stay away from AA because he does not believe in God or the 12 steps. In fact, AA has a technique of reducing rebellion among doubting people by deliberately inviting them to disagree with everything we believe in. Now, according to uh, legal filings, February 17th, 2016, this is the Greater Toronto Area Intergroup of Alcoholics Anonymous view. Intergroup submits that its purpose is to practice the 12 steps and practice a belief in God. In order to be part of intergroup, a group must be prepared to practice the 12 steps and thus the members of the group must have a belief in God. Greater Toronto Area Intergroup also submits that it is a bona fide requirement that groups that wish to be part of this intergroup must have a belief in the higher power of God. Hmm, that's two different views of AA, isn't it? Now, Rebellion Dogs often challenges the assumption of the 12 steps being sacred. They can't be suggested and sacred. So our literature, anyway, it points out that the 12 steps are suggested. Now, for individuals, we have 100% freedom. To credit one's sobriety and quality of life to the 12 steps and hold them in high regard, go for it. That's natural if you've had a transformative experience. However, to deem AA steps as sacrosanct for you and for me and for everyone else in the room, back off with that rigid talk. You sound downright evangelical. You can see from the two narratives about the 12 steps that opinions vary. Bill Wilson's radical inclusion, Toronto Intergroup's tyranny of the majority. Where do you weigh in? Toronto agnostics, like the 1950s Buddhist groups that Bill is defending in his letter, feel that 
Any accommodation to include suffering alcoholics is very AA. Is Bill Wilson worried that letting groups take God out of the steps may one day confuse some newcomer or erode the AA movement? Toronto Intergroup sees artistic liberty, secular AA, as a sign of the apocalypse. Turning a blind eye on this small cancer will compromise the integrity of the AA message. What if this chaos wasn't contained and led to the end of AA? Is Toronto's new and improved traditions 2.0 better stewardship or catastrophic thinking? Both Toronto Intergroup and Toronto Agnostics Groups see their own hearts as pure and their actions as being in AA's best interest. Both sides see the other as deluded at best, evil at worst. Either way, the other is a threat to AA longevity. How can we break this deadlock? Well, I'll be so bold as to suggest that we can and we'll look at how, I promise. I'll also get to my trip to Sedona in LA too. <laughs> okay, so the Toronto situation, let's start with background. If you're not up to speed, the Greater Toronto Area AA Intergroup is under scrutiny. It turns out that ousting a fellow group on the grounds that it declines to follow your view of a world guided by a sobriety granting prayer answering God, kicking them out might be against the law. Ontario, Canada is governed by the Ontario Human Rights Code. It is against the law in Ontario to discriminate based on certain Human Rights Code grounds. These grounds are race, color, ancestry, creed, religion, place of origin, ethnic origin, citizenship, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, age, marital status, family status, disability, or being in receipt of public assistance. Intergroup troubles date back to an event that happened five years ago. Also named in the complaint is AA World Services, Inc. To Intergroup, these groups were never AA groups in the first place. Their will to be included in AA is misguided. To the agnostic groups, a desire to stop drinking is the bond that unites AA members and groups. No obedience to God is required. Inner groups, according to the agnostic groups, are like any other service structure. They are not governing bodies. If agnostic groups want intergroups' opinion, they'll give it to them. That should be the attitude of any group when relating to your district or intergroup. Creed doesn't just include minority religions like Muslims or Hindus. According to Ontario law, atheists, humanists, agnostics, these are all protected under the code. People have a right to their religion, but people who don't follow the popular creed in an organization, such as AA, also have the right to be accommodated. Duty to accommodate. This is language that we'll hear during the upcoming 
Human Rights Hearing. Right from Ontario Human Rights Commission website, here's the basis of what they mean by duty to accommodate. The duty to accommodate is comprised of three principles. One, respect for dignity. Two, individualization. And three, integration and full participation. The issue, according to Intergroup, is that some Toronto agnostic groups read a secular interpretation of the 12 steps at their meetings, display them, and in some cases make them available for distribution. Intergroup contends that groups don't have the right to read godless steps and still brand themselves as Alcoholics Anonymous. Only Faith Healing AA is sanctioned AA according to Toronto Intergroup. Not the members necessarily, but according to this legal document recently. And by faith, we're not talking about faith in groups or faith in the process. We're talking, no doorknobs, <laughs> we're talking about a God-God. Just that one, right? Capital G, Judeo-Christian, that one. Why is AA World Service involved? In question is whether or not sitting on their hands and not answering calls to help out violates AA's fiduciary responsibility to the people of Ontario. AA World Service thought not our circus, not our monkey. We have no opinion and took no action when rights were allegedly being violated in Toronto. Help was sought, but no opinion on outside issues was the answer. Is inaction, willful blindness, and has AA World Service broken Ontario law? Way back in 2011, two rights-bearing equals in Toronto Intergroup we Agnostics, which met Tuesday nights, and Beyond Belief Agnostics and Freethinkers Group, Thursday and Saturdays at 6.30 at the University of Toronto, were removed from the directory in a close vote. The intergroup executive further decided that the groups would have no standing. They couldn't vote or participate in intergroup matters. Later, another group, Widening the Gateway, started. They had to hold a new intergroup meeting and uh, delist that meeting too. For five years, the key defense for members who favor discrimination against non-believers in the name of AA are four main defenses. One, the general service bylaw argument. Appendix E of the service manual, which states that in order to change or modify the steps or traditions, agreement of 75% of AA members is required. Now, is this a protection for the groups from AA General Service Office? Or is this protection from the groups for GSO? It's not enough to read the service manual. One has to understand it. And speaking from my own experience, when I'm reading looking for validation or looking for uh, a confirmation of my own biases, I don't always read the whole truth. <laughs> so it can happen to anyone. Okay, so that's the bylaw appendix E argument. Number two is about tradition four. 
except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. This second part of Tradition 4, well, any number of catastrophic imaginings could lead to a reason to limit groups' autonomy, or can it? Anyone who points a finger at other groups and claims to be a defender of the traditions is not understanding the purpose of our traditions. I don't know how to put this delicately. Part two of tradition four is a self-assessment condition for me and my group to review our group's rituals in relationship with the world around us. You and your group ought to ask yourself if there is anything you're doing that might be harmful or in any way discourteous to fellow groups. Never is the second half of Tradition 4 a caveat for one alcoholic or a group of alcoholics to pass judgment on another group. We never reach Recovery 2.0 that involves taking someone else's inventory. And have we forgotten? Aren't the traditions guidelines or suggestions, not rules? So number three, in terms of uh, favorite arguments for delisting agnostic groups, is that the purpose of AA is to help the powerless alcoholic find a relationship with he who has all power, God, Yahweh, being the one means of arresting alcoholism. Now, this has been the personal experience of millions of AA members. But does that mean godless AA is not AA? Look at the Bill Wilson AA compared to the Toronto Intergroup AA and ask yourself, which is too legit to quit? Then there's the invitation. Number four, you hear this all the time, why don't the non-believers just start their own fellowship? where their atheism won't bother us so much. No one needs an invitation to start another fellowship. The right to start another fellowship without anyone's permission is so obvious. Why would anyone say it? Or is the invitation just a politer form of bigotry? More importantly, isn't divisiveness bad for us all? If unity the principle of our first tradition means anything to us, then the popular groups and the unpopular groups ought to be treated as equals and learn to work together. Now, in the interest of something that barely resembles brevity, when it comes to me anyway, uh, we're, uh, we've looked at both sides of this issue on other Rebellion Dogs radio show. Uh, go to our site and visit uh, episode 1 and 13, because I ran through these four things, uh, but I go into great detail, episodes 1 and 13 of Rebellion Dogs Radio. Or there's blogs from last November, uh, which dealt with the uh, Vancouver issue. And again, you can find that on links from this show. So back to the background, and then perhaps we can look at how two sides might rekindle our common ground. For five years, agnostic groups negotiated, and several well-meaning individuals within intergroup tried to forge corrective measures. 
former intergroup executive chairs and individual intergroup reps tried many things to make things right. Intergroup remained intolerant and satisfied that tyranny of the majority had God's blessing. That's when a member named Lawrence filed a complaint with the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal. He's over 20 years sober and waited like the rest of us for AA's self-correcting magic to take hold. After five years, no progress has been made. If anything, the environment has grown even more poisonous and more dogmatic. So, let's meet the players. Show some respect for the whistleblower. It might be tempting to blame Lawrence, the Toronto member who reported the wrongdoing. That blame the victim tendency is easy to rationalize in AA. AA ought never be drawn into public controversy. How dare he? So did Lawrence commit the crime or did he report a crime? What would we do about rape, homicide, robbery? These things are beyond the scope of group conscience. We're not the mob, we're a fellowship. Unresolved conflicts have channels to follow in a civilized society. When we think about it, isn't blaming Lawrence for causing controversy in Toronto a wee bit like blaming Rosa Parks for causing racial tension in America? On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks refused to leave a seat in the white section of a Montgomery bus. And 60 years later, an African-American president sits in the White House. Rosa Parks wasn't the agitator. She was the whistleblower. She drew attention to an act of discrimination against her and others that was both immoral and unconstitutional. Victim blaming is socially normal. Not healthy, but normal. Willful blindness is morally and sometimes criminally wrong too. Five years is a long time to be patient. Still, if you think Lawrence's actions were rash or self-serving, consider that under our human rights code, it's also a code violation to harass a complainant. According to the code, persons who make a complaint, as well as anyone else who is involved, should not face negative consequences for taking part in the complaint process. In other words, they should be free from reprisal. Okay. Character number two, Toronto Intergroup. And I'm talking about all of them. Is Toronto Intergroup the will of the people? It's hard to tell if Intergroup's actions reflect the feeling of most Toronto AAs because of the woeful attendance at intergroup's monthly meeting. Participation is less than 20% of eligible groups at any given intergroup meeting. In Bill Wilson's essay on Concept 5 regarding the relationship between majorities and minorities, tyranny of the majority can't just be blamed on those that are hasty and hostile. An apathetic majority is also blameworthy. 
here's what Bill writes. Throughout his political speculation, de Tukerville insists that the greatest danger to democracy would always be the tyranny of apathetic, self-serving, uninformed, and hangry majorities. Only a truly dedicated citizenry, quite willing to protect and conserve minority rights and opinions, could, I think, guarantee the existence of a free and democratic society. All around us in the world today, we see we are witnessing the tyranny of majorities, and even worse, tyrannies of very small minorities invested with absolute power. De Tukerville would have neither, and we AAs can heartily agree with him. So that's uh, page 22 of uh, the 12 Concepts of World Service. In a way, this is where AA World Service comes in. AA's General Service Office looks at their own feet and mumbles, it's not our place to govern or tell either groups or intergroups what to do. The Toronto situation is a local issue to which we have no official opinion. Well, no one's been found guilty of any wrongdoing at this juncture. Still, we need to think a little bit, or this is an opportunity to consider, what is AA's role in terms of leadership in local disputes? Can they do more? Can we do better? AA's structure is one to be proud of, but that doesn't mean our inverted triangle is perfect. It has its strength and its weakness. Inverted triangleism, according to the law, may not be licensed for inaction when someone's rights are being trampled on. Where does lack of governance start to look like lack of leadership? The balance is in personal responsibility. That's going to be a key uh, to what we're covering today. Uh, Bill Wilson grappled with him himself in his 1961 Grapevine essay, The Dilemma of No Faith. He writes, I had been neither humble nor wise. Boasting of my faith, I had forgotten my ideals. Pride and irresponsibility had taken their place. By so cutting off my own light, I had little to offer my fellow alcoholic. At last I saw why many had gone away. Some forever. He was confessing his own pride and irresponsibility. Now he was still thinking about corrective measures to this four years later when he unveiled the Responsibility Declaration. He wasn't looking to fix AA. He was asking what can he do, which I think is true leadership. I am responsible when anyone anywhere reaches out for help. I want the hand of AA always to be there, and for that, I am responsible. Also thinking responsibility, the Human Rights Code we talked about before has those three values, respect, individualization, and full participation. These don't happen to be in conflict with our code of when anyone, anywhere, dot, dot, dot. 
Here's where AA World Service has found the balance and offered leadership in the past. Who remembers GSO's release of SMF29? <laughs> it was on the topic of conference approved, what it means and what it doesn't mean. And it states clearly that conference approved does not imply conference disapproval of other material about AA. A great deal of literature helpful to alcoholics is published by others, and AA does not try to tell any individual member what he or she may or may not read. So you can imagine that probably uh, solved a couple of arguments here and there in AA. So today it's not just agnostic groups reading agnostic steps. It's back to basics groups reading Wally P's book, daily reflection meetings that read Hazelton literature, or say a secular daily reflection book as part of their meeting rituals. Just putting it out there. These uh, autonomous acts do not dissociate the group from the AA whole or interfere with nearby AA groups. AA does not disapprove of any literature a member or members decide to read. Toronto isn't unique. Our world is getting more diverse and accommodation is becoming more complex. Maybe there is something GSO can come up with that can act as a guideline for groups and central offices that focuses on why our radical inclusion and our group liberty are not a threat to AA as a whole. Just an idea. Just as the conference approved statement might have silenced some squabbles about books that can and can't be read, a similarly designed clarification of traditions might help keep the peace, eliminate fear, and show leadership where leadership is being sought. Okay, another character in this conflict, the Ontario Human Rights Commission. The Human Rights Commission aren't in the business of catching organizations, getting it wrong, and putting them out of business. They won't tolerate human rights abuses, but their mandate is to assist organizations like ours that is, if AA hasn't outgrown coming to believe we need to ask for help. Here's something from the Ontario Human Rights Commission website. The right to be free from discrimination based on creed reflects core constitutional values and commitments to a secular, multicultural, and democratic society. People who follow a creed and people who do not have the right to live in a society that respects pluralism and human rights and the right to follow different creeds. When we ask people to be tolerant of others, we are not asking them to abandon their personal convictions. We merely ask them to respect the rights, values, and ways of being of those who may not share those convictions. The belief that others are entitled to equal respect depends not on the belief that their values are right, but on the belief that they have a claim to equal respect regardless of whether they are right. 
That's from the Supreme Court of Canada, 2002. Now, GSO, for instance, could work with something like this in AA language. Nothing here ought to offend any open-minded member. After all, isn't that what Bill Wilson was saying at the top of the show? He defended Buddhist groups' right to practice AA without God. He didn't for a minute think that the Eastern approach was better. He may have thought that these savages would eventually see the value of a personal God in their sobriety and their brand of spirituality. But it didn't make a bit of difference to him what the Buddhists did in the future. Here's what he said further to this uh, letter in 1957 as he was talking to or writing to uh, Father Ford. But it certainly can't make the least difference to us what the Buddhists do with the steps. The steps are for everybody to take or leave alone as they wish, in whole or in part. Had we not taken this attitude, it's possible that thousands who are today believing AA members and often good church members would never have joined us at all. They would have been dead ducks by now. On further reflection, uh, Bill Wilson would also say in our service manual, fortunately, we are not obligated to maintain a government that enforces conformity by inflicting punishment. So those are the players. There is a solution. The only way back from this conflict is to go back to what works for us AAs. Self-examination, refraining from our impulse to judge and control, and personal responsibility. First, why do AAs behave badly? Well, here's something that makes sense to me, the narcissism of small differences. Credit for the term goes to either Sigmund Freud or Ernest Crawley. Let's just say it's a hundred-year-old idea. Let's focus on the light it shines on our lives in 2016. We're tribal. That's human nature. Our mojo comes from understanding who we are and who we are not. AA's bond over our small differences from others. We're so much like everyone else, but we're bound by a common suffering. We can't drink like normal folks. We have to resign from the debating society, and we suddenly found ourselves saved from death, but still floating upon a perilous sea. So we have similarities on which we can build or rebuild a healthy identity. So we see ourselves as different from normies, but united in fellowship up against a formidable foe, alcoholism. Some of us relate to how being baseball fans isn't enough because we have to be either Dodgers or Cubs or Yankees or Blue Jay fans. So we have our tribe and there's always an inferior other to rally against. Inside AA, we all share a common suffering, but still, we have our women's groups, our back to basics, our young people's LGBT, atheist agnostic groups. We can hone this identity politics to such a minute difference that outsiders 
wouldn't see what makes us so different from the larger AA whole. Outside AA, we see this going on too. This isn't an AA problem. Remember the Sunnis and the Shiites, the Muslims and the Jews, the Tutsis and the Hutus, all 99% the same and intolerant of the 1% difference. Now it seems like it's AA's turn. Let's get a better understanding of what seems to some to be a chronic case of uniqueness. This is from an article. The Art of Manliness.com wrote an article called The Narcissism of Minor Differences, and it points out, There are two potential problems that grow out of leaning too heavily on the narcissism of minor differences. One, the tendency to define yourself by what you're not. And two, a focus on trivialities over fundamentals. Humans are naturally drawn to conflict and latching on to minor differences to bolster our sense of self is really just a submerged form of aggression and hostility. Standing out is essentially a competition for status one that allows us to feel distinct and superior to others. So, if intergroup reads their local non-theist gatherings as being an act of aggression and hostility, and the knowledge that these groups read a secular version of the 12 steps could appear to be setting themselves apart as distinct and superior, then Humans are naturally drawn to conflict by reacting to the agnostic groups as if they were doing something threatening, intergroup counters with what the intergroup members would feel is a defensive act of counteraggression. Being delisted, now that will naturally fuel any suspicion held by atheist members that maybe their believing brethren saw non-believers as second-class AAs. So let's look at this some more, you know, without branding any of the characters in this uh, drama as victims or perpetrators or rescuers. Let's just look at it. While moderate atheists and believers are polite and or indifferent to each other, the loudest among us on both sides are singing the same song. Did you see what they did? They're going to destroy AA if we don't stop them. Each side sees their own actions as loving and the other actions as hateful. This isn't an AA problem. It's a human nature issue. A team of social psychologists conducted a study called Motive attribution asymmetry for love versus hate drives intractable conflict. Wow, man. I mean, they got a hit song in there, but they sure aren't wordsmiths, are they? <laughs> anyway, they should leave that to the artists. But anyway, getting back to this, they studied uh, Israelites and Palestinians in the Middle East, and they also looked at Republicans and Democrats in the United States. What happens when the qualities we attribute to actions, even hostile actions, are positive qualities, qualities of love, for who we see as the good guys, 
and we attribute negative qualities, hate or insanity, for the same actions taken by the bad guys. Here's what the study found. An unwillingness to negotiate and unwillingness to vote for compromise solutions. Furthermore, researchers concluded that although people find it difficult to explain their adversaries' actions in terms of love and affiliation, we suggest that recognizing this attributional bias and how to reduce it can contribute to reducing human conflict on a global scale. That's kind of cool. But it's a bit of a downer, too. If AA troubles are going to last as long as the Middle East conflict, we're doomed. New York Times bestselling author Arthur Brooks offers a call to action that I think will ring a bell with all of us. He gives a TED Talk. It was filmed February 2006, and he says this. It's not good enough just to tolerate people who disagree. It's just not good enough. We have to remember that we need people who disagree with us because there are people who need all of us. Brooks goes on to say, it's coming together around these ideas, liberals and conservatives, to help people who need us the most. Think about it. Most people are walking around saying, you know, my ideology is based on basic benevolence. I want to help people. But the other guy, they're evil and out to get me. You can't progress as a society when you have this kind of asymmetry. It's impossible. Now, asymmetry, that's kind of the opposite of unity, isn't it? The principle of our very first tradition. If it is impossible for a society to progress when one side thinks they are more worthy AAs, then what do we do? How about letting go? For those at one extreme, whereby the only real purpose of AA and the 12 steps is unity with God, keep thinking that. Maybe you're right. But let go of wanting to control what everyone else thinks. Trust that God of yours. AA is in good hands. Be an example of God's grace. Don't be an evangelist. Now, on the other side, for everyone who thinks the big book is archaic and we need a new one and dependence on imaginary gods is as bad as alcohol dependency, okay, maybe you're right. But let go of caring about those who find comfort in the first 164 pages of that 80-year-old big book. Be an example of a personal relationship with reason, but don't be an evangelist. If both sides let go of wanting to control and stop obsessing about what the other alcoholics are doing in the other groups, maybe we'll all find time for working with the still-suffering alcoholic in our own groups. We can't help the newcomer in their meeting because we're not at their meeting. Narcissism is normal. It's a sense of self. When it gets out of whack, that's when it leads to sociopathy and fascism. That's not why I ought to be suspicious of others. That's why I want to keep my own thoughts and my own actions in check.
While I don't agree with Intergroup, they haven't done anything so extreme that I can't imagine doing, or at least thinking, of doing myself. I sometimes have a save time and see it my way or else frame of mind. The contempt I have for others is always a recognition of that shortcoming that I struggle with myself. I don't know if decreasing narcissism and increasing empathy is something an organization can collectively do. I think we each have to mind our own side of the street and hope enough of us get on board with that. I know it doesn't often help me if you criticize me and tell me I have to be less selfish and think of others more. My knee-jerk reaction? I'm going to rationalize. I'm going to point the finger back at you. If you're a good example, now I'm probably going to follow you. So there is a solution, and it works one AA member at a time. It's personal responsibility. Doing the best we can, one day at a time. We know how remarkable the results can be. I can be more responsible at minding my own actions at my group and beyond. Bill's Concept 5 essay warns of the tyranny of apathetic, self-seeking, uninformed, or angry majorities. Is it for me to point a blaming finger at others, or is it for me to resist my own apathy, my own self-seeking, my hastiness, and my reactive actions? Toronto Intergroup's no different than any other service body. Apathy is a fertile ground for corruption and empire building. If more of us are less apathetic, this is less likely to happen in the future. The personalities are not important. It's the principle. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? We can do this. We can do this because we're always doing this. Being open-minded, trusting the process, making peace with our loved ones, asking how we can help others. This is what we do. We can't control the outcomes. No matter how much we fuss, Rule 62 reminds me, don't take yourself so damn seriously. So if we want to show our concern for Toronto Intergroup, we ought to go there. If we don't live in Toronto, get more involved in your local service structure. If I see rigidity in AA, I ought to counter by being more accommodating, more open-minded. If I see chaos in AA, I can be the orderly example. Good example is attraction rather than promotion in action. We've all heard that you can't push a rope, you have to pull it. That's part of what attraction rather than promotion means to me. Bill Wilson's responsibility declaration is a personal statement. I guess it is hoped that more people take it to heart for sure. But it can't be enforced on others or wished for them. In short, my solution is going back to what we all know. Personal inventory, service, putting our trust in something greater than just our own will. Now, let's remember, or let me say I'm going to remember, these words found in a pamphlet that explains the process in creating our 12 traditions. The best I can do is ensure that 
I'm not adding to the problem and be mindful of my own thoughts and actions. This is from AA Traditions, How It Developed, pamphlet P17. The way one worthy alcoholic has sometimes tried to judge the less worthy is, as we look back on it, rather comical. Imagine, if you can, one alcoholic judging another. Okay, this might be what you curious cats have been waiting for. This is a better understanding of Toronto Intergroup's Ontario Human Rights Tribunal defense. It's a hot topic in many parts of North America that I've been to, and certainly all over the AA globe uh, on the internet. I often hear, why won't they just admit they're wrong and correct the situation? Or I hear the blame the victim argument that suggests Lawrence caused the controversy. Everything wasn't just fine before a complaint was lodged. You see, there's something we got to understand that for intergroup to decide on the fate of non-believers is kind of like two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. It seems democratic, but it's not. In Ontario, Canada, the Human Rights Commission doesn't weigh in on two equals disputing over what the conference should be called or what size font the meeting list should be. They get involved in what we call tyranny of majorities or tyranny of minority issues. On the issue of creed, like race or sexual orientation, or any case where one side is disadvantaged by being in a minority position, the commission levels the playing field. They wouldn't have either the majority creed impose their beliefs on the minority, nor would they let the minority creed demand that the majority all change to reflect the minority belief. The law, according to the code, is that businesses and organizations like AA ought to have a human rights policy for members and outsiders to see and a procedure to internally deal with concerns and or complaints. This information has been brought to the attention of intergroup and various delegates and it's been to this point ignored. Back in 2011 a member raised the issue of duty to accommodate that they read from the Ontario Human Rights Commission website while it was entered into the minutes at Intergroup back in May of 2011. It was of little interest to anyone. There's a link to that on our website. So because there is concern, I'll share at least what I know as a lay person about what might transpire. Lawrence filed a complaint that his rights and dignity were compromised when Toronto Intergroup delisted two groups, including one that he attended. Toronto Intergroup isn't denying this discrimination. They are seeking an exemption from the Human Rights Tribunal jurisdiction on something called Section 18 of the Code. It seems complicated, but it's not. Section 18 would allow a Jewish school to overlook another qualified teacher to hire a Jewish teacher to teach their Jewish students. A transgender fraternity 
could restrict membership. A women's rape crisis center could turn down a request for help from a male rape victim if their mandate is to create a safe environment for women only. In other words, religious, educational, fraternal organizations, they can discriminate to a certain degree. If AA was a monotheistic religion, we wouldn't have to accommodate Buddhists, humanists, or alcoholics who pray to a deity by a name other than capital G-O-D. Intergroup is claiming that it, and AA, is a religious organization. Intergroup wants to be excluded from human rights rules because AA in Toronto only caters to people who believe in God and obey the 12 steps, exactly as written. Here's something that's out on the blogosphere now, and it's been reported in the press. The respondent, Greater Toronto Area Intergroup of AA, submits that the Alcoholics Anonymous Recovery Program follows 12 steps, and these steps involve a belief in God. In order to be part of intergroup, a group must be prepared to practice the 12 steps. Thus, the members of the group must have a belief in God. Greater Toronto Area Intergroup submits that it is not denying the applicant's group's right to form its own intergroup and follow its own process. Intergroup submits that it is a special interest group which states that rights are not infringed where membership or participation in a religion, philanthropic, educational, fraternal, or social institution or organization that is primarily engaged in serving the interests of persons identified by a prohibited ground of discrimination is restricted to persons who are similarly identified. And finally, Intergroup also submits that it is a bona fide requirement that groups that wish to be part of this intergroup must have a belief in the higher power of God. Okay, so that's what they wrote. Uh, what's going to happen? Intergroup filed this defense in February. About 10 days later, they announced at their intergroup meeting that they've fired their lawyer and hired a new one. What are the implications if intergroup loses? What are the implications if intergroup wins? I asked at the top, which AA is your AA? Is this what intergroup really believes? Or have they painted themselves into a corner where uh, pride won't let them concede that maybe they're wrong? I certainly don't see these requirements for Greater Toronto Area Intergroup AA membership as being posted anywhere on the Toronto Intergroup site. So this will probably be news to uh, a lot of people. Feel free to visit the Ontario Human Rights Commission website where you can get a feel for how they deal with organizations with asymmetric opinions or worldviews. Here's something right from the site called Section 11, which might give us an indication of how they're going to deal with this. Section 11 of the Code allows an organization to show that the requirement, qualifications, or factor that result in discrimination is reasonable and bona fide. 
However, to do this, the organization must first show that the needs of the person, including the needs of the group they belong to, cannot be accommodated without creating undue hardship. That's a term uh, maybe I'll get to later. So here's the requirements. In some cases, a rule, requirement, or qualification that negatively affect people based on their creed may not be discriminatory or trigger the duty to accommodate because it is reasonable and bona fide in the circumstances. Some of the factors to consider include whether the standard requirement or rule, and there's three of them, one, was adopted for the purpose that is rationally connected to the function being performed. So is the function to uh, people with a desire to stop drinking find sobriety or is the function to find God? Depends who you ask, I guess. Number two, was adopted in good faith in the belief that it is necessary to fulfill the purpose of the goal. So is this how they've always felt or is this just something they've crafted to defend themselves against uh, being labeled discriminatory? And three, is it necessary to accomplish its purpose? One, can the organization meet its legitimate objectives in a less discriminatory way that does not create undue hardship? And two, were alternative approaches that do not have a discriminatory effect investigated? So will it be asked, could intergroup meet its legitimate objectives in a less discriminatory way that does not create undue hardship? Now, undue hardship, that would be if an agnostic was demanding that the word God offends them and that all literature in Ontario and all banners of the 12 step be rewritten to accommodate their non-theistic view, that would be an undue hardship. But to be able to conduct matters the way they see fit in their own group, uh, maybe that's not undue hardship. In Bill Wilson's AA, we all mind our own business. So our more religious members hold more religious style meetings and our educational variety seekers hold more secular meetings. Muckers muck, atheists doubt, and the faithful pray. It works in unity in Bill Wilson's AA because we're not concerned with what's going on at the other groups. We ask ourselves if our group activities affect other groups or AA as a whole. We don't point an accusatory finger at others. April 12, 2016, at noon Eastern Standard Time, the Ontario Human Rights Commission is holding a webinar on the topic of creed. There's a link at our website, rebelliondogspublishing.com. I don't know exactly what the rules are for registering, but I'm committed to being better informed and being, as I like to say, a sample of AA rather than an example. So that's it for personal responsibility. Is it a solution to these sort of local conflicts? Let's see. Uh, now, on today's Rebellion Dogs radio show, we don't want to be completely sideswiped by the Toronto drama. I want to take a couple of minutes to share how excited I was about my Southwest trip. I was honored to be a guest on After Party Podcast with Anna David. Thank you, Anna, for making us 
guests on episode 100. That's a big deal. So thank you very much. And uh, hello, After Party uh, fans, if you're new here. If you're not a regular reader and listener at After Party Magazine, I assure you that recovery can be funnier, more enriching, more entertaining, and more touching than you currently know. Now, from Hollywood, I drove through the desert to Sedona with Herb. He's an author of two books on recovery, including 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening, Enlightenment for Everyone. It was like an eight-and-a-half-hour meeting with a beautiful view. March 4th to 6th, I was back in Sedona at the Sedona Mago Retreat Center for the annual Symposium on AA History. I was one of 13 presenters, and it was an amazing, emotional, and educational weekend. Sunday night in Phoenix, I got to visit a local Sunday night agnostic freethinker AA group. They're very excited about Waftiac in Austin. That's the We Agnostics and Atheists and Freethinkers International Alcoholics Anonymous Conference, Austin, Texas, November 11th to 13th. You're all invited. I'm booked. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, upcoming, uh, if you're in the treatment biz and you're going to the NADAC 2016 conference in October in Minneapolis, let me know. I'll be doing a presentation with John McAndrew, uh, two treatment professionals, on Saturday afternoon. That'll be fun. I may do a little book signing or, you know, meet and greet or something like that too. So uh, let's hook up there. Maybe some of you will be in Minneapolis. Maybe some of you will be in Austin. I hope so. Uh, now, uh, also have something in print that, if you haven't seen it already, I'll direct you that way. Big book thumpers and AA critics fall prey to a common stereotype about what defines AA. It's a myth that Alcoholics Anonymous is a program. Yes, there is a program, but AA is not a program. We're a fellowship with a suggested program. The characterization of AA as a program is pervasive. We always hear, so, how long have you been in the program? So that's the theme of an uh, article on thefix.com uh, by Rebellion Dogs Publishing. Uh, you can Google it, five AA myths that critics and zealots share. You know, feel free to repost it. Uh, <laughs> over 500 of you already have. Just wrapping up, I'm going to share with you uh, more about the 2016 Symposium on AA History because there's an opportunity, if you're interested, to find out more about that. The last show, episode 21 of Rebellion Dogs Radio, featured a talk I gave about the ongoing history of unbelievers. And it was emotional, and it was well-received. If you haven't had a chance to hear it, uh, there's a YouTube version, and feel free. It's a teaser because it might inspire some of you to get the collection of presentations. I think they're like $20 U.S. for all three days. Uh, you get the audio and you get the slides and everything. So here's uh, the program. Uh, I'll just run through it for you. Friday, there was dinner, welcome and introduction. We had a presentation uh, by uh, Dan 
Caracino, or Caracino? Sorry, Dan. Anyhow, he's the co-director of the documentary film Bill Wilson. Uh, he did a presentation on persistent urban legends in AA. Uh, there was a film of Ernie Kurtz doing a talk on a reverence for history. Uh, there was an open meeting that followed. Saturday started at 6 o'clock for those who wanted with an open AA meeting. 7 o'clock we had breakfast and the presentations that day included um, June 1945, Bill Wilson leaves AA for a real job. Now what happens? And this was by Kevin Hanlon. He's the other director of the documentary film Bill Wilson. King Charles, as in Charles Towns of the New York City Hospital, Gary N. wrote a book about this and he did a great presentation. Uh, there was a candid view of Lady Lush, Mary Mann, who is AA's First Lady, by Dr. Beverly Allen. Uh, she's a professor at Syracuse University and a playwright. There was an interview with uh, the Reverend uh, Ward Ewing. He's a AA General Service Chair Emeritus. Jay uh, and Ward talked a while. That took us to lunch, and after lunch... I was up uh, with Agnostica, bringing A to the Unbeliever, and then there was a presentation on, in their own words, the recovery of people of color and the LGBTQ community in early AA by Jackie B and Glenn C. Uh, Lois Wilson, Her Legacy at Stepping Stones uh, by Sally, the executive director at Stepping Stones. Then it was kind of a night at the movies. There was the extended director's cut of the Bill Wilson movie, followed by Q&A with uh, Kevin Hanlon. And at 9 o'clock, there was another uh, meeting. Uh, Sunday, uh, there was a breakfast, uh, an overview of the day by Bill, a new pair of goggles, the spread of AA internationally by the armed forces by Roger W., from Psychic to Psychedelic, Bill Wilson at the Frontiers of Consciousness by Jay. And uh, we had a virtual tour of Wilson's House in Dorset, Vermont, with Julie Kay, the executive director of the Wilson House. And then an open forum with the moderators, Jay Stinnett and William uh, Schauberg, uh, just talking about what we might do in the future. So, so that was awesome. And I would... Uh, recommend that you maybe check out uh, the website and see if there's any of those talks you want to get. Ah, so I've kept you a long time. Thanks for being patient with me. If there's anything you want to call bullshit on or uh, talk about, news at rebelliondogspublishing.com or just I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all that sort of stuff too, so we'll see you there. Thanks for being part of Rebellion Dogs Radio.